You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dairy Gold Agribusiness. For quality feed, expert service, and support you can trust. Welcome to our programme. I'm John O'Connor. Amongst the items in our programme, farmers paying four and a half million euro more towards TB eradication, big changes on the way for slurry and fertiliser spreading. But our top story, Dairy Gold, our sponsor, confirms the May milk price. Dairy Gold confirms that its base price for May milk supplies, based on standard constituents of 3.3% protein and 3.6% butterfat, inclusive of VAT and bonuses, is 30.69 cents per litre, unchanged on the April milk price. This equates to a farm gate milk price of 32.52 cents per litre, based on average May milk solids for all Dairy Gold milk suppliers. Dairy markets have retreated with butter returns falling and while protein returns have stabilised, they are not compensating for the fall in butter returns. The Dairy Gold Board will continue to closely monitor the market performance to ensure Dairy Gold pays the maximum return to its members. Mr Shane McCarthy, Dry Stock Advisor with Chagaskin Middleton, joins us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. Shane, welcome to the programme. It looks like grass is now set for a takeoff this week. Yeah, I suppose grassland, um, grass is about to take off this week, I'd imagine, with the heat that's coming and also the, the moisture that's, that's around as well. Like, um, So I suppose it's important maybe to walk the farm, just assess where you are and the quantity of grass on the farm at present. Um, I suppose it's also important to um, graze down tight, meet your residuals down to about four centimetres. And if grass is getting ahead of you, um, just assess your situation, maybe take out a few paddocks of bales just to correct um, grass quality. This time of year it tends to get a bit stemmy, so maybe a bit of of mowing afterwards just to tidy up paddocks as well. Um, The other thing I suppose to mention would be to keep up your fertiliser. like if you skip around the fertilizer, if, the, if, if there's a lack of nitrogen in the soil, there's a tendency for the, the plant to, to get stressed and go to seed head a lot quicker. So you, you will lose a lot of quality grass because of this. So just, I suppose, to keep up your fertilizer applications as well um, for, for, for this time. It will hinder performance um, if, you, if you're grazing the, these, these heavier covers. What you want is a nice 1400 cover with good leafy grass with plenty of energy maximise maximize production really I suppose. Turning to lime we hear traditionally 
most Irish land could do with a bit of lime. In fact, in some cases, there's a distinct lime deficit in our soils. So any tips on spreading lime? And I think we were saying before we began broadcasting, you were saying that now would be quite a good time to spread lime. Now would be a good time. I suppose Irish soils are traditionally fairly acidic. They do need lime to correct the pH. Um, normal thinking would be wait till the back end of the year, but things can go against you in terms of weather. So now might be actually a good time to spread lime, especially if you take out paddocks for bales or, or maybe second cut silage. If the, I suppose the first protocol would be to take a soil sample, find out the, the status of the soil. And if it needs lime, now might be a good time to put it out. You're going to have good weather conditions. Um, the, the, obviously, the, the soils or the, the land will be, be able to, would you be able to drive on it. If you wait till the back end of the year, things to get heavy, you might you might miss an opportunity. So as I said, take your soil sample, find out if it needs if it needs lime as your first port to call. You're generally going with maximum three tonne to the acre at the very most. Um, I suppose the, the weather at the moment is reasonably good. There is rain coming. It's get, you can get what you can. It's washing in any bit of lime that is is being spread. Um, so I suppose now would be be definitely consideration. Uh, you don't get the same response from your fertilizers if, if your pH isn't right in the soil. So you will actually get, you will actually grow more grass for this year if you do correct your, your pH in the soil. Have your soil sample taken. Find how much lime ideally would boost grass production. And of course, um, you might mention one or two of the properties of lime, which enable the other elements in the soil to function and contribute again, all to producing this uh, top quality grass on which we found our beef industry and we are so proud of and find so useful. Yeah, well, I suppose once your, once your soils go below a pH around 5.9, a lot of the phosphorus does get locked up in the soil, like so it, it does release a lot of phosphorus, which is obviously very important for grass growth. And also, if your if your soils are very low in low in lime, a lot of the nitrogen isn't used as well. Like the, you could be losing maybe up to thirty percent of your the nitrogen spread if your if your pH is in the maybe five point five point five point six. So it is very important to get to. It's it's not a very expensive product, but it it's there is a lot of gain to be got by correcting your your pH and your soils. You get a better better growth rate rate and a better response from your chemical fertilizer that you're you're spreading. Could we look at, uh, finally in our conversation, uh, Shane, could we look at dosing of calves? Any tips for dosing of calves? Yes, but this is a very important time to keep on top of your, your dosing program for your calves. Ideally, you should be monitoring your calves, looking for any signs of of them not thriving, really, like you're looking for maybe if they're coughing or if they're, if they're overly loose or if they're just, just not putting on the weight gain that they're expected to put on. Um, there is a lot of resistance to some of these warmers at the moment, so... Like if you do those, ideally maybe just take a peak leg count, maybe a couple of days, take a fresh sample of dung and 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 get it analysed for peak leg count just to see how effective your 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 dose um, has worked. Um, I suppose the other point would be maybe to alternate doses, not use the same product each time. That's your 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 increase in the risk of resistance being built up by the worms. Well, thank you very much indeed, Mr. Shane McCarthy, dry stock advisor with the Chagas Office in Milton. Thank you for those tips. Shane, thank you very much indeed. The government's climate action plan will mean big changes for fertiliser and for slurry spreading. With more on the background to these changes, Thomas Uber, news correspondent, Irish Farmers Journal.
So if you read the government's climate action plan, which made headlines this week, um, there is a lot in it concerning agriculture and uh, the, the most immediate aspect that should change fast as such in the plan in the next two, three years especially, is how we use uh, fertilizer and slurry. And uh, on the fertilizer side, uh, they plan that um, half of all the canned fertilizer we use at the moment will be replaced by protected urea by 2030. And on the uh, slurry side of things, they say half of all the slurry in the country should be spread with trailing shoes. Now, I know there's other technologies there available as well, and there's some public consultation coming up. So hopefully, maybe others uh, that people have already invested in will be allowed. But it's definitely said trailing shoes, half of all the slurry in the plan. So uh, the reason for that really is whether it's fertilizer or slurry, um, the way we do it at the moment releases a lot of nitrous oxide into the atmosphere, and that's uh, one of the strongest greenhouse gases that you can get. In a different article on page 14 of the Irish Farmers Journal, Saturday, 22nd of June, you point out if we implement the climate change plan, we can still cater for 1.6 million dairy cows. Yes, and I, I asked that question. Uh, I interviewed uh, Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed, and he was very clear that if we do things according to the plan there, uh, we will not have uh, to cut livestock numbers, and he's not planning for that himself. Uh, but yes, there is a catch there, as you said, is that um, the, the, really the plan is quite drastic. There is uh, this more immediate uh, slurry and, and fertilizer switch that needs to be done differently than there other um, things in the plan that revolve around the quality of genetics in animals we use to reduce methane emissions from the animals themselves. So the breeding of um, cattle, whether it's for dairy or beef, would have to improve a lot as well. And uh, there's other aspects also uh, in the plan, such as forestry, and you'd have to plant a lot of trees. For example, last year we planted 4,000 hectares of forestry in this country. And the plan is that it would double to 8,000 every year for the next 10 years to suck out the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere that would, uh, in a way, offset or, or replace uh, the other gases that we're releasing through the production levels we have at the moment. So it's only if we manage to do all this that uh, the plan would work without cutting livestock numbers. Do the respective types of forests have complementary roles to play? I don't think it's as much the carbon sinking uh, because conifers grow very fast and in that way they, they do capture a lot of carbon but it's maybe more the, the impact they have on the local environment when you have these big dark forests of conifers if, if it's too much of them like um, some counties like people in Leitrim have been complained about, uh, complaining about then you have uh, a kind of monoculture landscape uh, it, it's kind of... Uh, uh, not great for biodiversity, for birds, uh, insects and all that. Um, it's not great either for people who live around them and have this really dark uh, landscape. And even farmers who are neighboring tall conifer forests complain about slower grass growth with the, the shading of those tall trees. So um, it's all the, the environment there. And I think the, the thinking around uh, increasing to those levels of afforestation is about making it a lot more diverse and a lot more um, different from farm to farm so that those who have those pieces of land available that really are not profitable for a traditional farming and they could have commercial plantations there and, and conifers, but every farmer would have to get involved at some point and there's a lot of thinking in the next cap uh, that you, you might have to plant a tree even if you're a dairy farmer and you have very good land uh, in Cork where you are that you would have at least to plant a few trees here and there or maybe do some form of agroforestry on part of your land 
to uh, take part in this effort. One of the articles points out to where over a thousand farmers are contract rearing and you have beef farmers there working closely in conjunction with dairy farmers where they're contract rearing heifers and in that way some of the farmers you spoke to say for the first time ever they seem to be breaking even so they can keep farming, keep their beef production but for the extra edge of profit contract rearing would be quite a useful thing to consider. Yes, and um, it is a positive story, as you said. Um, those farmers who have engaged in this appear to be uh, doing well uh, so far. It's new enough and, and not really a, a huge industry, so it's, it's hard to tell if more people got involved and maybe people who are in, on less good land or depends where they are and, and how uh, comfortable they are with, uh, with Frisian cattle and all that. But those who are in it at the moment seem to be um, making at least as much money as in dry stock and uh, the dairy side of things is satisfied enough with it. One striking figure I heard from Chagask was that 90% of the heifers who are contract reared uh, go in calf after two years compared to 65% or so um, nationwide. So because they're on a farm where the farmer is paid to get them in calf, they are not kind of um, maybe overlooked like they would be on a busy dairy farm where the, the attention is focused on the milking cows. Um, they actually, uh, in many cases, are better looked after in those first few years of their life before they start milking and they get uh, better results as, uh, as a consequence of that. Some people who are rather cynical about the 50 million euro coming from the EU Commission and the 50 million euro from the Irish government, it would be worth pointing out that no other country in the European Union, no other member of the European Union has received this kind of support for their beef sector. And Minister Creed, he's taking a more hopeful view of the conditions imposed by the EU. He's saying that he won't fight the conditions being imposed by the European Union, by the Commission, for this 50 million euro part of the 100 million euro Brexit um, fund. In another article by you, you say that the Minister is saying that we can deal with the supply reduction. Yes, well, it remains to be fully uh, thrashed out by the end of July and the government has, uh, the Department of Agriculture especially has until the end of July to write the full terms and conditions of how Irish farmers will be able to access that money. But uh, it's true that the, the European Commission did include initially a condition that you would have to in some way uh, reduce output or restructure the, the amount of beef being produced. So how will that materialize? It's not really clear yet, but in principle, the minister told me he wasn't going to oppose it uh, because it would only add delays in negotiations with Brussels and uh, he just wants the money to get out to farmers as soon as possible at this stage. So that's where we are at the moment, but the full details still have to be clarified. There's been a bit more uh, since we went to print. We've heard that, for example, you'd have to be in, uh, in one of the agro-environmental schemes, such as GLASS or BDGP, or you'd have to be in a quality assurance scheme, uh, the board BIA um, system. So that's another condition that appears to be emerging to access that money, and that, that's all going to be clarified in the next few weeks. The nightmare that's been in the background for the last 20 years or so the Mercosur situation, we know the strict conditions that uh, European farmers have to uh, abide by, very strict conditions, yet it would appear the European Union, the EU Brussels, might be considering doing a deal with the Mercosur countries where we are told uh, horrific stories about lack of controls on quality and animal welfare and health. 
Yes, um, that's that's the the objective of the Commission before they finish their term. Um, the, that follows the European elections we voted in a few weeks ago, and now uh, the new European Parliament will choose a new Commission. So the outgoing commissioners, uh, starting with their president Jean-Claude Juncker, he's been very clear on that that he he wants, if he can, to finish this trade negotiation and have a deal with Mercosur before he leaves, and that's this summer really. So we're really in, in a very uh, kind of crunch time situation there and uh, if they do there will be more beef coming in it's not clear uh, whether the South American countries will be satisfied with the 70,000 tons of extra beef sent to Europe that they were given uh, as an option earlier or if it will go up to 99,000 tons again an even higher number but um, if you listen to you know the industry here they say there isn't that much space in the European market for that so we're looking at uh, depressed prices uh, realistically if that much beef enters the market um, between Brexit and the current low prices with um, uh, demand and, and supply not being exactly aligned at the moment, you're looking at uh, very serious trouble if that extra beef actually comes in. But I think we could draw a message of hope from the banner headline in the journal, your story, Big Changes for Fertilizer as Slurry Spreading. It would appear there is hope if we follow very clearly and very carefully the instructions we're told we should follow. And in that way, we can guarantee the future of agriculture. And again, elsewhere, when you were speaking to the minister, it is possible if we are careful, we can keep our beef herd, bearing in mind the low emissions we have from our grass production. So all in all, looking through the journal, there's plenty of reason for hope and for optimism. Absolutely. And, you know, um, one of the, the good things, I suppose, about the, um, the the climate pressure that's on the government at the moment is that there, there's prepared, apparently, to put money behind it. So there will be, especially in the next cap, um, I suppose, a, a lot more things to help farmers do uh, what we're asking them to do that weren't there before. And uh, it will be a matter of then actually making it happen. But um, the, the, the intention and the funding hopefully will be there. Thomas, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, John. The 40th Charleville Agricultural Show is taking place on Saturday, 29th of June and Sunday, 30th of June, 2019. With more on the background to the show and its main attractions, Miss Bernie Carroll, Assistant PRO, Charleville Agricultural Show. The show is on Saturday, June the 29th and Sunday, June the 30th. And as you said there, it's our 40th year, so we have big celebrations this year. And I suppose the main attractions on Saturday will be the judging of the dairy and beef sections. We have the ponies and show jumping. We have judging of art, craft and cookery, flowers, horticulture, many children's sections, which will all be judged on the Saturday. And we also have young handlers in the dairy and the beef. And then, of course, we have numerous trade stands on Saturday and Sunday. And this year, we have quite a lot of big agricultural farm machinery stands, which we're delighted to have, which are new for us. On Sunday, then, we have judging of horses, show dumping, and lots more trade stands, the Pony Club Games, which are a great attraction. We have a pop-up museum. Uh, we have sheep tossing, baby show, judging of the sheep the dog show, and of course, as we have every year, a big vintage show on the Sunday, and the vintage is just Sunday only, not Saturday. 
And this year we have a best dressed small animal class as well, which will be held straight after the dog show. And we have the all time crafts, which consist of weaving, basket making, butter making, all those all time crafts that the young people of today have never seen. So then on um, Sunday as well, obviously, we have Mike Denver, the country music star from 3 to 5 p.m. And prior to that, we have a big screen because, as you know, it's Monster Final Day and Limerick and Tipperary are playing in the Gaelic grounds in Limerick. So we have a big screen for the match for 2 p.m. And also, I would like to mention, I suppose, that we have Kerry Agribusiness, who are main sponsors of the show every year. And we're deeply indebted to them, as indeed we are to every other one of our sponsors. This is a huge social event for people with an interest in agriculture, fine. But it's also a tremendous rural event. There's a big question mark over our main national industry in rural areas, agriculture, Brexit, all the uncertainties. But I think this is a weekend, two days Saturday 29th of June 2019 and Sunday 30th of June where those two days when people can come along, forget their cares and I suppose the big question is to make sure that the person above uh, arranges good sunny weather. Yeah, the weather is looking quite good at the moment. I was checking it out last night and the weather looks quite good. It won't be very sunny, but then again, it won't be a day for the beach. So we prefer a day that's not too hot. Last year on Sunday, it was extremely hot. This year, it will be a real show day. And currently on our Facebook page, we're running a competition for uh, somebody to win two tickets to the show on either Saturday or Sunday. And we've asked them to comment on why they like the show. And everybody is saying it's a real family day out and they meet people at the show that they might only meet once a year. So it's lovely to hear that. And we've got amazing comments from very positive comments from people on the Facebook page. You're celebrating the 40th anniversary of Charlotte Agricultural Show. Uh, starting off, it was Dr. Dr. Donald O'Driscoll, who was the parish priest in Charvel at the time, it was his brainchild. And he contacted a few local people like Will, the late Willem Began. And indeed, the Began family are still very, very involved in the show from uh, children of 8 and 10 years old up to um, much older. And um, I suppose we had Nora Leahy, Pat O'Riordan and Ian Doyle who are still on the committee and have been there since the very first show. So, I mean, they're 40 years contributing to Charleville Show, which is amazing. And I suppose it's all thanks to Donald O'Driscoll, who started it all off 40 years ago with insurance. And now with all the regulations that are coming in, it's very difficult to run a show because now we have to um, every year apply for an event license to Cork County Council. And there's a lot of regulations involved with that. And unfortunately, it is making the show a lot more expensive to run and putting us under more pressure to get more sponsorship, get more people through the gates to try and cover our costs and to basically break even on a two day show where you have approximately 20,000 people attending. I think it's true to say that uh, officially Charleville show would be the largest two day agricultural show anywhere in Ireland. It is, yeah. It's the lar- I suppose uh, Tullamore would be the largest show in the country, but that's a one-day show and it's the end of August. But our show is the largest two-day agricultural show in the country, which we are very, very proud of. And that has come as no mean feat because we've all been working very hard over the years to improve it every year, to get more people through the gates, get more trade stands, get more exhibitors. And from year on, it's, it's just increasing every year and it is amazing. 
you're lucky to have a very big sponsor, to have one key sponsor, Kerry Agri-Foods. But of course, even though you have one key sponsor, I'm sure you would like to take this opportunity of thanking every sponsor, big and small, and all the voluntary workers, people who make this happen, because this is something which couldn't happen without sponsorship and the voluntary workers and the great committee always in the background. Absolutely, John. I mean, we have most of our sponsors are with us since day one, I suppose, before Kerry Agri, we had Golden Vale. And once Kerry took over Golden Vale, they immediately came on as our major sponsor again. And we're deeply indebted to them. We have um, all our local businesses in Charbel who have been with us from day one. And they're still sponsoring us, which is absolutely fantastic. And as you said earlier, this year we're celebrating 40 years. And indeed, many thanks to yourself for contributing to the book that I have put together uh, just uh, memories of Charles' show over the 40 years and the response we've got to this book has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, everybody that I asked to contribute to the book have been more than delighted to contribute and there is lovely little stories in the book, little memories over the 40 years and what Charles' show means to people. And this week past, I was absolutely thrilled to discover that Lidl, Ireland, who have their main warehouse in Charleville across from our showgrounds, found out about the book and they came on board to sponsor the book. And that, to me, is what Charleville Show is about. That certainly is wonderful. Looking at the relative expense of staging a show in 1979, when Charleville Show was established back in 1979, the cost of running that show was 22000 last year. The show cost in excess of €250,000 to stage. Insurance would be a big cost, but a bigger cost would be um, having to have an event licence that uh, indirectly costs about 20000 Now, the licence two and a half to 3000 but then you have to have road traffic management and you have to have extra uh, Red Cross people and there's so much extra that's all costing that more money. And basically, that's an additional cost of €20,000 for the last three years. Please remind our listeners the day, dates and when your show is taking place. Thank you, John. Uh, Saturday, June the 29th and Sunday, June the 30th. Come and see us at Charleville Agricultural Show. You won't be disappointed. Plenty of parking space and, as well, refreshments on the site so no one will go thirsty or hungry. Absolutely not. And there is um, hot and cold meals both days, so you can have your dinner on the showgrounds as well. And there's fast food and there's ice cream, so there's loads for everybody. And where can people obtain a copy of the book? It will be for sale at the showgrounds on Saturday and Sunday at €5 per book. This might be a nice gift for people to send uh, to relatives overseas at Christmas. Absolutely, yeah. That people maybe that have family abroad, that when they were younger, they would have been coming to the show and due to circumstances have had to move abroad. It is a lovely present for Christmas. And, you know, even already when we advertised it on the Facebook page, I'm getting messages saying, please keep one of the books for me. I'll meet you at the show and I'll fix up with you. We were getting very positive response to that as well. So it's nice. Thank you very much indeed, Miss Bernie Carroll, Assistant PRO for Charleville Agricultural Show, celebrating the 40th anniversary of Charleville Show on Saturday, June 29th, 2019, and Sunday, 30th of June, 2019. Bernie, thank you very much indeed, and every good luck with the show. Let's hope the weather is nice and perhaps it is not too sunny so there won't be competition from the beach. And the monster final, John. So, anyway... Hopefully, and I hope to see you at the show as well, please, God. Thanks, Bernie. Thank you, John. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The contribution by Irish farmers to the TB eradication programme has increased by €4.5 million Euro over the past five years. Barry Cassidy, news correspondent, Irish Farmers Journal, writes about this in the 22nd of June edition of the journal. Yeah, well, I suppose in this week's journal, what we did was we had a look at the TB programme's costing from 2012 right up to last year in 2018. Now, when you look at those figures and you have a look at how the spending has involved, so overall, there's 90 million spent, give or take, every year on the TV programme. Of that, the Exchequer is contributing approximately half and has been contributing a similar amount for the last five years. Whereas for farmers, what they've seen is they've seen a 13% increase in what they're paying in. So farmers are paying just under 39 million um, into the programme every year. Now, that contribution is coming through two forms. That's through your round testing. And it's also coming through your bovine disease levies as well. Majoritarily, it is from the testing, though. People outside farming, they wonder if the scourge of bovine TB will ever be eradicated. Sometimes people will hark back to, I think it was the year 1964, when then Minister Mr Hoy was delighted to announce that the scourge of TB had virtually been eliminated from the Irish herd. But realistically, can we ever hope to have it totally eradicated or will there always be that tiny reservoir somewhere in the system? Well, I suppose, as you say, referencing back there to 1964, what we've seen is a dramatic, dramatic drop in the amount of levels of TB since then. I mean, within the first 10 years, the programme was very successful. What we've seen since there now, and probably over the last 10 years in particular, is that we've got to a certain level and we don't seem to be progressing any further. So we're kind of stuck where we are at the moment. So... At the moment, the TB forum has been set up. Uh, that's come and drawn up a list of recommendations on maybe how we can get to that, as you say, TB eradication point by 2030. Now, there's a lot of proposals in there, as, and most of them are just proposals at the moment. But what, what government officials have said is that if we don't do something else, we will continue to be in the situation that we're in here now. That means doing something differently or taking a different approach to eradicating TB. Now, of course, for farmers, you know, the TB program as it is, is quite taxing. I mean, you've for every farmer, there's at least one test. Some farmers are two. I mean, there's some farmers every year who have to do about three TB tests. So that's a lot of stress. Um, but it's, it, if we are to get past this point that we are here now, something else will have to be done. Lorries and the issue of cross-contamination, animals driven to the factory for depopulation or for slaughter, 
uncleaned lorries not sufficiently disinfected being used to transfer perfectly healthy animals and the risk of contamination should we be more and more attentive to hygiene, the link between transport used to take animals who are infected and then being used for healthy animals? Yeah, well, I suppose there is a variety of risk factors when it comes to TB. I mean, things like badgers being in and around your drinker or in and around where you feed cattle meal out on grass. I mean, even by raising that off the ground so that the badgers can't get their snouts or noses into it can make a major difference in lowering the risk from that particular sector. As I say, cleaning, disinfecting. And it's not just you know, running a go of a power hose over something. I mean, that's not going to eliminate TB. There is a list of approved chemicals that can do the job and you do need to spray down with that afterwards. So I suppose the recommendation would be after you let your animals out at the end of the winter is to wash down that house completely and eliminate any residue of TB. Also, again, I mean, if you talk about transport, I suppose there's only so much you can control if you're using an outside haulier, but for yourself personally, if you're using your own trailer, I mean, you can clean and disinfect that. I suppose the major, major risks for TB, and, and probably where the majority of the TB comes from, is excluding the wildlife issue, it's cattle to cattle. So, I mean, it's the biggest risk for you is, is by buying in cattle into your herd. I mean, if you buy in an animal that has TB but hasn't shown up on a test or is only developing TB, that's probably the majority of the time how TB spreads to non-TB herds. I mean, obviously there's other cases where we see the likes of Monaghan and South Kerry there for a while where they were particular TB black spots. And a lot of that is, I mean, if every herd in the area has it, it's very hard to stay away from it. But I suppose when you're purchasing cattle, I mean, always try and purchase from a source you know and try and understand. ask the farmer, I suppose, have you had any TB issues, any TB breakdowns? Now, obviously, that's not always possible when buying through the mart. But I suppose it's something that we, we if you are serious and you, you, you're worried about TB, that that's probably something that you need to be looking at. Perhaps at the mart, there will be some reference to the previous health of a herd when you're selling animals? Yeah, well, I suppose that comes back to the TB form and what the government have said that, I mean, if we keep doing what we're doing, we're not going to get anywhere. And I suppose an expenditure of 90 million in a year is a lot. And I suppose as any funds that come from the exchequer, there's always a value for money element to it. And the government wants to see that, and the taxpayer wants to see that they are getting value for money. So, I mean, if every taxpayer is paying in 45 million, they want to see that that 45 million is being used correctly. Um, so what there has been a suggestion is that we move to a, a form of risk-based trading, which is something that was brought in in both Australia and New Zealand, probably the only two other countries outside of the UK and ourselves that have serious TB issues. Uh, and what that was, was for 10 years, if you had a, a TB incident, it would be displayed on the mark board and every farmer would know either you're, you're categorised as a high-risk, medium-risk or low-risk farm. So if I was a low-risk farm, I could I could go out and identify other low-risk farms. And again, there's that element of, I suppose, the big fear for a lot of farmers and a lot of farm organisations is that stock that comes from high-risk herds will be devalued. Um, and I suppose I, beef and, and farming as it is is in a tough spot as it is without bringing in extra reasons for, to lower the price of cattle. Um, but then again, I mean, it's 98% of the herds in Ireland don't have TB. It's the 2% of the, that do that we're trying to address. So I suppose it's trying to weigh up the pros and cons. The very, very strict controls the Irish authorities have on TB, depopulation of herds, herds locked up and cohorts, etc. So I, I suppose that must be a major selling point from the health point of view when we are exporting to countries that we have such a strict, ruthless um, system, some people would say, that that is a good selling point uh, looking at the positive side. Yeah, I mean, like if you look at, at the kind of agricultural nation we are, 
we export, I mean, more or less everything. I mean, 13 billion worth of exports every year, more or less. 90% of our beef goes abroad. I mean, it's very hard to export into some of these countries and these markets that we're in, the likes of the US or China and continental Europe that have such high health expectations and high food safety standards. I mean, if you don't have the controls in place on these diseases, you, you, there's no way that you'll be able to export into these countries. So while it may be taxing, I suppose, if you want to keep markets open and keep product moving out of Ireland, I mean, it is something that we have to commit to. Now, we are talking there about our very, very strict animal health standards, the strict monitoring. But, of course, in the journal, you also, on page four of the news section journal, 22nd of June, 2019, you say, Mercosur deal set for next week. We're looking at how strict our rules and regulations are, and yet it would appear it could almost be on top of us, a Mercosur deal being signed in a quiet, calm way, despite all the questions over their animal health issues. Yeah, I suppose Mercosur is an interesting one, and something that probably in the Farmer's Journal we follow quite closely, and something that does find its way onto our pages quite often. I mean, it's been, it's been on, on the cards, on the run for the last 20 years. Now, we have seen an acceleration. We've seen an acceleration back in 2017, but things fell through. It, it looks, and for all, all of the sounds that are coming from the likes of Brussels and elsewhere, it's, it's beginning to sound like a deal can be done next week. There's Brazilian officials and Argentinian and Uruguayan officials in Brussels. They're here from Thursday. They're here from Tuesday. By the end of the week, Brazilian foreign minister coming to sit down. So the expectation is that there could be a deal on the table come, fri- come Friday for them to sign, Friday week. Um, now, of course, in every negotiation, there's there's pros and cons. I suppose for Europe, the big attraction to signing a deal with Mercosurian countries is our industrial goods. We've got a very good deal on the table from them for industrial goods. The likes of our BMWs and Mercedes come from Germany. On the other hand, agriculture, we are on the defensive. So Brazil particularly are looking for a much higher quota of beef that they can ship in. I suppose it is one of their premier exports and one thing that probably... I believe that they are the number one beef exporter in the world, so outside of the US. So for them to get extra beef access, and for us, that's obviously critical. And it's not just us as well. I mean, France has voiced opposition to this, Poland, Belgium as well. Um, But it can be, I suppose, when it comes down to it, it will take 27 countries to agree. Every single one can sign off. So Ireland can veto if it's not happy. Uh, So I think the crucial thing for EU leaders is to put together a deal that the countries will accept, and that does protect are precarious and sensitive products as it is. I mean, with Brexit coming down the track as well, the last thing that we need is a beef market destabilised by an additional cheap beef coming in. EU Commissioner Phil Hogan, he wouldn't like to see his legacy being linked to the opening up of the European market to a vast amount of Mercosur beef and the death knell of the Irish and European beef sector. I would imagine that Phil Hogan, at least we have a person in there in Phil Hogan, Commissioner Phil Hogan, and Agriculture Minister Michael Creed, at least those two people understand the significance of a Mercosur deal. Yeah, I suppose as Irish farmers, we've been quite fortunate to have Phil Hogan in that position for the last five years. I mean, when you look at what's happened in terms of Brexit and having someone within there who who knows and understands the Irish question more than anyone else, uh, we've been very lucky to have him there. That said, he is he isn't the lead on this brief. This is a trade uh, a trade brief, so it'll be Cecilia Malmstrom who'll be in over this. Of course, now she will consult closely with her colleague Phil Hogan and other other EU leaders and EU heads and commissions. Um, but I suppose it is for Irish agriculture reassuring to know that we do have someone in there who will understand 
just the, the importance. I mean, he's he said it repeatedly that you know there there won't be a deal put on the table that won't be acceptable to member states because otherwise it won't it will just be shot down. People who believe in conspiracy theories, they would say the 50 million euro from the EU Commission and the 50 million euro from the Irish government, they are sweeteners to prepare Irish farmers, Irish beef farmers for the cutting back of their production to make way for Mercouser beef. I've heard that argument made as well, but I suppose if you look at it within context and, and within the countries that will object to a Mercosur deal, I mean, you have the likes of France there who have a massive, massive suckler herd as well and who would defend beef very closely. I don't think they've been given a, uh, a fund the way we've been given. So I think to be, to be cynical, you can be cynical like that, but I think I suppose we, should, we're, we try and take things at this word uh, and that we believe, I, I don't believe that that 50 million um, could be in any way a softener for a Mercosur deal. I don't think it would go far enough. It's a unique uh, deal which is not available to other countries. EID, you wrote in last week's journal, you wrote about EID and the increase in funding from the government. But of course, farmers still, sheep farmers, flock owners still very worried about costs. EID, a brief uh, update on extra government help insofar as they can. Yeah, I mean, the EID question is another thing we've been following quite closely in the Farmers Journal as well. And I suppose where we are here now is that the legislation is in for farmers. It has been since the 1st of June. So every sheep was already covered under EID. Now lambs are covered too. So lambs going to the factory are one EID tag. Lambs going to the mart are two EID tags. So what the, what we had been promised and what we had been told was that moving to EID would re- remove the requirement for farmers to fill out dispatch dockets. Now, for factories and for, and for lambs moving, farmers moving lambs to the major, the four major factories, uh, the two ICMs, uh, Don Ballyhonis, uh, Keepak at League and uh, Kildare Chillen, they are approved to operate to read EID tags. So farmers moving lambs there don't have to fill out dispatch dockets. Now, unfortunately, marts are not yet in that position yet. There's still negotiations underway between themselves and the government and the people who will provide the software as to the best way to do that. Uh, and when they come online, uh, then that, 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 that step that's already in the factory will be available in the marts as well. Until then, farmers are still continuing to fill out their dispatch dockets as they were, uh, despite the new tags. Thank you, Barry Casty, Irish Farmers Journal, news correspondent, and that article regarding the 4.5 million euro more for the TV programme and Mercosur deal set for next week. Both of your articles in the Irish Farmers Journal, Saturday, 22nd of June, 2019. Barry, thank you very much for your valuable time. Thanks a million. No worries, John. Thanks very much. And that's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foote on Controls and to you, the listener, for tuning in. Have an enjoyable weekend. Dairy Gold Agribusiness for quality feed, expert service, and support you can trust. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 